Merry Christmas. And uh, to those of you who are joining us online, Merry Christmas to you as well. If you are joining us online, then perhaps in the chat feature, you'd be willing to you're really looking forward to over the course of this Christmas week. And if you're here, you're going to have to share that with each other when the service is over. Something you're in, in looking forward to, something you want to enjoy over the course of this Christmas week. Uh, last night, late in the evening, my daughter flew home to join us from Illinois, and we're excited to have our whole family back together. But a couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with her when she was in Illinois, telling her about what was going to be happening over the course of this coming Christmas week. The conversation was, Monday, we're going here and we're doing this. Tuesday, we're going there and we're doing that. And then before I got to Wednesday, I interrupted myself. And I said, well, of course, all of this depends on what kind of announcement and restrictions the governor puts in place next week. And then after that interruption, I continued on. Wednesday, our plan is to go here and do this. Thursday, our plan is to go there and do that. I, I interrupted the flow of what I was saying in order to interject something into the flow of the conversation. It's something we all do at various times, where we will actually interrupt ourselves in order to place something within the conversation that's extremely important to what we're saying. There's no point in saying we've got plans to meet friends at a restaurant on Tuesday if there are no restaurants open in order for us to go to. Right? So sometimes we interject something. We, we interrupt our own flow of thought to interject something into a conversation that is important. And today we are going to see a Holy Spirit-inspired interruption in the flow of John chapter 1. In December, as we approach Christmas, we have been looking at the Christmas story through the lens of John chapter 1. It is not one of the traditional Christmas passages that we find in Luke or Matthew that are focused on the details of the Christmas story. John chapter 1 is about the big picture of Jesus coming, who he is, his identity, and why he came. And in John chapter 1, in the verses we have looked at, John is introducing us to Jesus. And in today's passage, he's going to interrupt himself in the midst of that introduction in order to interject something extremely important into the conversation that he's having with us. Now, before we get to that interruption... I'd like for us to take a few minutes this morning in order to just review what we've seen in the verses that we've covered thus far. In John chapter 1, it begins with these words, right? In the beginning was the Word, that's right. And why is it that Jesus is called the Word? In large part, it is because he is the ultimate communication between God and people. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so we find out that the Word, the Son, was both God in the beginning and was with God in the beginning. He, he is God and he is with God. How is that possible? It's possible because of the Trinity. Because God has eternally existed as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Word, the Son, always has been God and with God and always will be God and with God. And then in verse 3, we find out that Jesus, the Word, made all things that exist. 
There is not anything that was made that he did not make, is what verse 3 tells us. And we just sit and we, we think about that. That the man eating fish with Peter and Andrew and James and John there by the Sea of Galilee is the eternal divine word who made the billions of stars that make up our galaxy and the billions of galaxies around that. That is our Jesus, the eternal divine word who made how, how much? All things. And then in verse 4, we find out that life is in him. Life is in him, verse 4 says. I, I want us to note, life isn't in memorizing enough of his teachings, although memorizing his teachings is a great thing. Life isn't found in going through the right religious rituals, although there are some great rituals that we can be a part of. No, where is life found according to verse 4, those first few words? In him. Life is bound up in Jesus himself. And I desperately need that life because according to Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2, I am what in my trespasses and sins? I am dead in my trespasses and sins. There's no spiritual life in me. My only hope at life comes through Jesus because all spiritual life is bound up in him. He is life. And because he is life, we're told in the next part of verse 4 that he is the light of all mankind. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the what? I am the light of the world. And in this verse, we we read that he is the light of all mankind. And you may or may not have caught this, but our sermon series is called Light to You. This light concept is kind of a big deal in this sermon series. So I want to pause in our review here just for a couple of minutes in order to talk about what is it that is important for us to understand about Jesus when we find out that he is light. Let Let me give you three things that are important about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. What does it mean that he is light? First of all, it means that Jesus reveals what is true. In the darkness, misperceptions and misconceptions can grow. But when the light is shed, it brings reality to light. It makes things clear for us and brings out the truth. I was here in this building a few weeks ago at 10.15 at night. I'd had a meeting that had gone late that evening and there were a few things that I needed to finish up in my office. And so I decided to go in, finish those things up and everybody who'd been a part of the meeting left. And unbeknownst to me, they all turned off the lights. The lights in the whole building. And so around 10.15, I left my office to go out and use the restroom and I realized I was kind of making my way through the dark. And as I made my way through this big, creepy building in the dark, my imagination started to play tricks on me. Some of you have been in this building after dark by yourself. And I began to imagine that I saw movement over in the hallway, over in the corner. I, I thought I felt the presence of other people with me there in the building in the dark. Maybe other people, maybe other things. Who knows? And as I was walking through in the dark, all I could think was, 
okay, look cool, look cool. Because if it's an axe murderer, you don't want to see him, let him see you panic before they kill you. And finally, I made my way over to the wall and I flipped on the light and instantly I felt better because when the light flooded the room, I could see I was the only one there. And so I went to the next wall and flipped on the next light and then the next light. And, then, and pretty soon I had the lights on in the entire building as I was here after 10, 15 at night. I'm, I'm sure the neighbors around were like, why is friendship having a party after 10 o'clock at night in their building? Uh, misconceptions and misperceptions were allowed to grow in the dark, but the light reveals what is real and it reveals what is true. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the what? The truth. Because as light, he reveals what is true. What is it that Jesus as the light reveals to be true? One, he reveals what is true about God. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 say that he is the perfect image of the invisible God. He perfectly reflects who God is and his character to us. Two, Jesus perfectly reveals as the light how we're to live our lives. What does Psalm 119, 105 say? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Jesus perfectly shows us that pathway and how we are to live. But, but as the light, he also reveals the way that we are to be saved. 2 Timothy 3.15 says that it is through the scriptures that we are made wise for salvation. And Jesus not only shows us the pathway to salvation, he is the pathway to salvation. And so through the light, he shows us that truth. And finally, Jesus as the light reveals to us what is really going on inside of us. Have you had Jesus and his promised Holy Spirit do that work in your life at some point where you have sat with him and he has revealed what is really going on in you? Uh, a few years ago when my son was in high school, uh, he was going through a season for a few months where he was just a giant pain, right? He, he's here today. It's going to be way more fun with him present. And when I asked him, when I asked his permission to share this story, he actually said, well, well which season when I was a pain are you going to be talking about? <laughs> and one day he did something wrong. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And so I knew when he got home, I was going to let him have it. Uh, I wasn't much of a lecturer of my kids as they were growing up. But in this particular situation, oh, was he going to get a sermon. It was going to be reasoned. It was going to be passionate. It might even be loud if necessary. And so sure enough, when he got home, I let him have it with both barrels. Just laid into him. And do you know what his reaction was? He ripped his garments. He poured ash upon his head. He began to weep and fall on his knees in repentance. Wait, why are you laughing? Yeah, no, that's, that's not what happened. Right? He, he came back at me, and I came back at him, and he came back at me until he got frustrated enough that he walked out the door and just left. My wife came home and said, Where's our son? I said, I don't know. She's like, what kind of parent are you? I'm sure he'll make his way home at some point. 
Well, he did. Uh, Almost two hours later, he came back. And he said, Dad, can we talk? And so we sat down at the table together, and he said, while I was on the walk, I, I couldn't help but spend some time praying. And I want to apologize to you for what I did. And God has really convicted me of the way I've been acting recently. And I want to apologize for the way I've been acting over the last couple of months. And I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for me. And he asked me to hold him accountable in a couple of areas. And we prayed together and we talked with each other. And then we went and we did something fun together. And what became clear was that what my best planned, most well-reasoned and passionate lecture had failed to do, Jesus absolutely accomplished in his life in a little bit of quiet time with him that day. How often was that true in my parenting experience? But far more important, how often has that been true in my life? We're just some time sitting with Jesus and his promised Holy Spirit at work in my heart reveals what's really going on in me and what needs to take place in order for me to be transformed. As the light, Jesus reveals what is true, what's true in me, what's true about how we can be saved and how we are to live, and most importantly, what is true about God and who God is for us. But also as we read about Jesus being the light, I want us to recognize that we're to understand Jesus is spectacular. Like light, he is majestic, he is brilliant. Have you ever opened the garage door on a day where it has just snowed to go out and shovel the snow and been blinded as that door opened? Or or maybe you're driving your car again on a day where it has just snowed and you find yourself driving more with your eyes closed than with your eyes open because of how blinding the light is. Don't look at me like that. You also have driven with your eyes closed. Come on now. Or the beauty of light when it comes through that little hole in the clouds and you can actually see the rays of the sunshine coming down through the clouds. Or when you see the spectrum of light on a body of water. Light is spectacular. It's beautiful. It's majestic. And it often represents the glory and majesty of God in the scripture. I think this is why in Isaiah chapter 6 that there are seraphim who fly around the throne and two of their wings constantly cover their face because of the glory and the majesty of God. When Jesus appears to the man who would become the apostle Paul, he does so as a literally blinding light to him because of his, his glory and his majesty. And as we read through the Gospels, there are a few times where the disciples get a peek at who Jesus is and his real identity. And when they do, they are overwhelmed by how majestic he is. I'm thinking of passages like Luke chapter 5, where Peter is out in a boat with Jesus, and they have this miraculous catch of fish. And And Peter gets a clear view of who Jesus is. And how does he respond? He falls on his face before Jesus and begs Jesus to get away from him because he is not holy. He doesn't deserve to be in Jesus' presence. Or when the disciples are with Jesus in the boat and he calms the sea from a storm that looked like it was going to take their lives. How do the disciples respond to that? 
We're told that in that glimpse of Jesus' genuine identity, they fell on their faces in that boat before Jesus, and they were more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. Because Jesus is spectacular. He is majestic. He's stunning. And the fact that he is the light of the world reminds us of how majestic and spectacular and absolutely stunning he is. I think this is one of the things that God is really reminding me of during this particular Christmas season is the majesty of Jesus. And it started with looking at this passage in John chapter 1, where a man who spent almost every day with Jesus for three years, who was perhaps closer to him than any other person on the earth, has an opportunity to introduce Jesus to the world. And what does he say? I want to introduce you to my buddy. Hey, I want to introduce you to my pal. Now, what does he say? He says, I want to introduce you to the divine, eternal maker of all things. Because John is overwhelmed by Jesus. He's even more overwhelmed by the majesty and the glory and how spectacular Jesus is. In Revelation chapter 1, Kenny talked about this last week, where John, who spent three years solid with Jesus, sees Jesus in his risen and glorious form and is so overwhelmed by the beauty and majesty of Jesus, he can't stand up. In Revelation 1, 17, we read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Again, John, a man who spent almost every day for three years with Jesus, who was maybe Jesus' best friend on the earth, sees the risen Jesus in heaven. And how does he respond? he falls on his face before Jesus in fear because of how spectacular and majestic Jesus is. This is the answer to Mercy Me's question in I can only imagine. What will it be like that day? Does John run up and throw his arms around Jesus? Does he say, hey, bro, it's been forever. No, what does Jesus do? Or what does Peter, uh, no, who is it? John. What does John do in this situation? He just falls on his face as though dead because of how majestic and spectacular Jesus is. He can do nothing else. Uh, As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we have a tendency to want to make Christmas comfy and cozy. And, And there are some comfy and cozy elements about Christmas. But we focus in on cuddly farm animals and rosy cheeked shepherds. But what John wants us to understand is that the person who came that day is so majestic that when his best friend sees him in his risen glory, he couldn't do anything but fall on his face as though dead. Because he is the spectacular eternal word, right? Jesus is spectacular. When we read that he's the light of the world, we we recognize his majesty and his glory. Finally, When we see that Jesus is the light of the world, the light of all mankind, we recognize that it is Jesus who overcomes the darkness. What did verse 5 say? The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. When you go into a room, you flip on a light, who wins, light or darkness? 
Does the darkness drive the light out? No, the light drives the darkness out. And Jesus is the light of the world, and the darkness does not overcome him. Now, you guys, sometimes doesn't it feel like darkness is winning? Look around. Doesn't it feel sometimes like darkness is winning? Has anyone ever watched the news? Doesn't it feel like darkness is winning sometimes? How about inside? Does it ever feel like darkness is winning? Not that sin again. How can I still be wrestling with that? It's those times when it feels like darkness is winning, when we most need to cling to promises like we see in John chapter 1, verse 5, that the light will overcome the darkness. There is this tremendous battle all around us between darkness and light, but ultimately, who is going to win? Jesus is going to win, and light will overcome the darkness. That's true in our world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And one day, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, his children will enter into an eternal inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade that is kept in heaven for us. A place where there is no darkness, only light. Anyone looking forward to that day? And the promise is true in me as well and in you if you are his child that there will come a day where there is no longer any darkness within us. Galatians chapter 5 says right now there's this great battle going on inside of me. It's a battle between what the Bible calls the spirit and the flesh. And if I'm honest, there's too many times in my life that the flesh still rears its head. But Jesus says there'll come a day when the flesh wins no more where the flesh is gone. And instead, I will be filled with nothing but light. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. One day I'll see him, and I will be made totally and completely like him because I see him as he is. And that is our hope. We long for that day, don't we? We long for that day when all darkness is driven out of our world, where all darkness is driven out of me, and there is nothing but light the light will overcome the darkness. And so when we read about Jesus as the light of the world, it's a reminder to us of that promise. And now, having finished that introduction, yeah, that was all introduction to the message. Don't worry, it's a really short passage today. John, having introduced Jesus as word, life, and light, actually interrupts the flow of the introduction in order to tell us about another guy altogether named John the Baptist. And we read in verses 6 through 8, you're going to need to turn there to verses 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to do what? To bear witness about the light. The Apostle John has been flowing through this passage, introducing to us as Jesus, as word, life, and light. And now he interrupts himself for three verses. And it is just three verses. Look with me at verse 9. Because in verse 9, he begins once again to talk about Jesus, the light of the world, who he is, and why he came. 
This is just a three-verse interruption to introduce John the Baptist, who is a what? Did you, did you catch how many times the word witness is used just in these few words? Fourteen times in the Gospels, John the Baptist is referred to as a witness to Jesus. Why is it that John interrupts the flow of introducing Jesus in order to give us this three-verse interjection? I think the answer is because this is extremely important to what he's saying. Like my interruption with my conversation with my daughter when I interjected about possible new regulations in the midst of outlining our week was important for the flow of that conversation. So here, these three verses are extremely important for what God wants to teach us. And what he wants to teach us is this. Jesus is the light of the world but the light spreads to others through witnesses. Jesus is the light of the world, but God's plan to spread the light to everyone else in the world is a plan to spread it through witnesses. And so he introduces this key witness to Jesus, uses the term witness over and over again so that we will understand the light of the world is going to spread through people like John the Baptist and you and me. It didn't have to be that way. God could have come up with another plan. He he could have written the gospel in big, fluffy, white clouds in the sky, couldn't he? God could have sent angels to every town and village around the world in order to proclaim the gospel. God could have made the wind to whisper the gospel to us as it blows by us on warm summer's days. But, But that isn't the plan that God came up with. Instead, how is the light spread? It's spread through us, the people that he has chosen and commissioned to spread the light. And as John writes to the church in his day, he wants them to understand Jesus is the light of the world. He is the the word. And you're the ones who need to bring that word to others. You're the one who need to spread that light to other people. And so he interjects here with that important information for us. As we read about John the Baptist, it is a reminder to us that God's call in our life is to be witnesses like John the Baptist to Jesus. We're to be witnesses with our actions and with our words, never just one or the other. We're to be a people who are witnesses to Jesus with our actions and with our words. Matthew 5, 16 talks about being a witness with our actions. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See our what? Our good works. We're supposed to be living lives filled with with good works, loving works towards others that express the love of Jesus to the world. but but it's never enough for us to simply bear witness to Jesus with our works. God's call is also for us to bear witness with our words. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, talks about the church and says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus has called us out of darkness 
into his light. And he has commissioned each of us to be people who go and tell others. The word here for proclaim is a word that means to make known with your mouth, with your words. And so Jesus' commissioning to us is be my witnesses, like John the Baptist. Go out, be witnesses in actions and words. The natural question for all of us to answer then is, how is that going to look this week? It's Christmas week. Uh, talking about Jesus is actually a, a little more natural this week with friends, with coworkers, with family. How are we going to be Jesus' witnesses with our actions and our words over the course of this week? What, what does it look like to call all attention to our Savior over the course of this week with our actions and our words? I actually have another point that I'm going to make in the sermon here in a second, but I feel like we should stop and just pray right now for God's Holy Spirit to be at work through us this week as we share Jesus with those around us. Would you guys just pray with me for a minute for God to be at work in our witness over the course of this week? Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit before us in the conversations that we're going to have about Jesus this week. Embolden us. Give us courage and grace as we speak with others about your greatness. Lord, help us to share what you have done in our lives and what you did 2,000 years ago with everybody who is around us. And we pray that as we share our witness, our testimony about what you've done in us, about what you have done in this world, that your spirit would be at work doing the miraculous deeds of opening blind eyes and drawing people to yourself. God, we look forward to giving you all of the glory for what you do as we bear witness to Jesus with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're to be people who bear witness to Jesus. The final point I want to make flows out of the witness we see of John the Baptist, and that is as we witness to Jesus, part of our witness is calling people to repentance. That, that was the message of John the Baptist. Pa- part of what it means for us to be like John the Baptist is to bring a message that calls people to repentance, to turn from living of self-rule and selfishness to a life lived of Jesus' rule and light. John the Baptist's message was one of repentance. Listen to this. Matthew 3.8, John the Baptist declares, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance. Mark 1.4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 3.3, about John the Baptist, and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 3.8, John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What was the message of John the Baptist? It was a message of repentance. Turning from a life of self-rule and sin to a life of Jesus' rule and love. And this is the same message that has been given to us as followers of Jesus, isn't it? In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and people are cut to the heart and they say, what must we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? Repent. 
Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching again to a group of people who literally killed the Christ. And he tells them, if you want to be saved, repent so that your sins might be wiped out entirely. In Acts 26 on the screen, Paul is talking about what he has been preaching for years. Throughout the entire book of Acts, he he wants to summarize the message that he has brought from town to town to King Agrippa. And he says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist is a reminder to us that when we bring the message of light to others, it is a message that calls people to repentance. To to no longer live life in sin and self-rule, but instead to live life in Jesus' rule, to live life in the light. That's the message that John preached and the message that has been given to us. And maybe as you're here today, it's the message that you need to hear. It's possible that there's someone in here or someone online watching today who needs more than anything to hear Jesus' invitation to repentance. Perhaps you have known about God and Jesus your entire life. Maybe you've known about God and Jesus for years and years. There might even be a place that you can point to in your life where you made an outward commitment to Jesus, but as you look at your life as you are living right now, you recognize, I am living in self-rule. I'm living in selfishness and sin. And what is needed more than anything today is to be obedient to the message and repent and turn away from selfishness and turn your life over to Jesus. Maybe we need to follow the example that is given to us by a man a long time ago named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson lived in 18th century London. One rare, bright, sunny Sunday morning, Robert was walking along the street totally discouraged. All around him were people calling for horse-drawn carriages so that they could make their way to church that Sunday morning. As he watched the people getting into their carriages in their Sunday best, the bells began to chime from the churches around him. The bells reminded him of days gone by in his own life where he would have joined those who were headed to church for a chance to worship God. But over the years, Robert wandered away from Jesus and his church. Once he was known as a man who was faithful in relationship to God, but now he was cold and dark and bitter, and he had been for years. Robinson came to hail a horse-drawn cab to take him to breakfast on that Sunday morning. And as it pulled up, he saw a young woman in the cab who was dressed in her Sunday best. It wouldn't have been unusual in this setting to share carriages with other people, even people that you didn't know. But Robert could tell by the way she was dressed that she was headed to church. And he waved the carriage on, intending to wait for the next one, so he wouldn't need to share the carriage with a church person that day. But just as he waved the carriage on, 
he heard the young lady in the carriage tell the carriage to stop. Sir, she said, I'd be happy to share a carriage with you. And then she asked him, are you on your way to church? Robinson was angry that she would make the assumption just because it was Sunday morning that he was on his way to church. And he was about to express his anger and frustration that she would assume he was headed to church when instead he heard the words come out of his mouth, yes, I'm going to church. What had he done? He he didn't want to go to church, but he just told her that he would. All he could think about were ways to get out of the commitment that he had just made. As he climbed into the cab, he exchanged introductions with the woman whose response upon hearing his name was, you're not the Robert Robinson, are you? Not waiting for a response, she withdrew a small book from her purse and turned to the large section of poems marked Robert Robinson. She said, I was just reading a poem by Robert Robinson this morning. And marking the page, she handed him the book and asked, are you the one who wrote this? Looking at the page, Robert meekly acknowledged that he had indeed written these verses. She began to speak in excited tones about the privilege that it was to share a cab with the poet who had penned these lines that had been so meaningful in her life. But Robert didn't hear another word that she said. He held the book in his hands and was totally absorbed in his own poetry from years and years earlier. He had not read these lines since he was a young man. And they struck him after these decades as if he was reading them for the first time. The young woman saw Robert's eyes well up with tears as he whispered the words that he had been, that he wrote. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Tears began to fully run down his cheeks as he made his way to a future verse. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it in thy courts above. He looked at the woman and he said to her, I have wandered. I have left God. The woman thought for a moment and then responded to him, Mr. Robinson, the streams of mercy that you wrote about, they still flow. You can offer yourselves again to God and he will seal your heart which is exactly what Robert Robinson did that day. As he went to her church and repented of his sin and self-rule, turning his life over to God and walking with him anew. Is there a need in your life for repentance today? To turn away from months or years of self-rule and walking in darkness and instead turn your life over completely to Jesus and walk in the light. Let me just invite you all to bow your heads and to take a moment of silence. I said earlier, part of what Jesus does when we submit ourselves to him in prayer is that he 
reveals the truth about us. Take a moment of silence so that he can speak into your life. If today is the day of repentance, if today is the day for you of turning away from darkness and self-rule and and turning to Jesus and the light, I want to encourage you, if you're here, to indicate that on the Connect card that's in your seat. If you're online, let me encourage you to indicate that in the chat or in the prayer message that is about to pop up to tell somebody This is the day of repentance. This is the day of turning in my life. Jesus, it all belongs to you. And praise God if that is this day. I want to encourage you to stand with me at this time and let us sing praise to our Savior whose streams of mercy still flow in our life. Let's sing together.